0: Not a big Halloween fan, just for the record. I, I don't think I was as a kid. I really didn't. The costume was incidental to me because I just wanted, hello. <laughs> Is that obvious or what? I just, give me the candy, baby. And we had some apartments that weren't far from our home. And uh, I don't know if you knew this. I don't think it was a, a secret that my brother and I discovered. But you go to apartments, that's where you score big. You know, because you can haul fast, and you didn't have to haul far, right? Normal neighborhoods, you have to put in 30 feet to get to the next house, or 40 feet. Now, this is like 5 feet. We calculated it, and we came home with a, um, a pillowcase, half full. Anybody else do that? <laughs> Anybody else got diabetes? That, no, I'm just kidding. You. <laughs> just a joke. I, uh, it is a fun time and we have, um, we literally in our neighborhood have um, bus loads, they, there are vans and buses that have pulled in near us and uh, it's uh, for sure cars that we have never seen and kids that we have no idea where they are or where they came from or frankly where their parents are at that moment, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's good. I want to talk about family for a second. Um, the, um, my family, we refer to ourselves as the Mac 5, um, Debbie and I and our three kids, uh, young adults now. Um, we loved camping as the kids were growing up. It was a big part of our lives. Uh, so in fact, so much so that we bought a bunkhouse uh, travel trailer. It had quad bunks so our kids could decide, and we had creative ways to do that, who got to bring a friend uh, because there are three of our kids, and then they got to bring a friend. So, And the door closed to their bunkhouse on one end of the trailer. So it was literally like a fort, like a getaway fort, and that was good for everybody, uh, as you can imagine. So, um, And we went out a lot. We actually logged and rode about 60, more than 60 camping trips in uh, 12 years that we had the trailer. So it was amazing. We have all kinds of fun memories, but we uh, we eventually, our kids grew up and moved uh, into sort of the next phase of their lives, and we found, Debbie and I, that a trailer li- with those configurations was just too, too much, and it really belonged in a family with a family of little kids, and guess what? God brought us. We couldn't sell it, of course, uh, because we were too attached to it, so we found um, a family that wanted it, and we found we, the way we described the transactions. We found a new home, for our, and a new family for our trailer, and they are, as I as, as I note or as I understand, they're still enjoying that today. That same uh, experience, I hope. But to the present, Debbie and I have begun to dream again about RVing. Um, it, it gets in you, and you love it. And you have a hard time letting it go. And so we've had our eyes on a brand that boasts "build built mountain tough." All right, on three, say that with me, and you'll feel like like more adrenaline right now. Ready? One, two, three. Built mountain tough. Right there, you go. Um, yeah, like my truck. Thank you very much. That's also true, but. Um, their promotional material uh, actually goes on to say this, um, that our trailers are designed, built, and tested in the Oregon Mountains. Isn't that cool? They actually build them in La Grande, and the mountains they're referring to are the Blue Mountains and uh, all those beautiful tall mountains, the rugged mountains of Oregon. What does it mean then to... Um, hear that something has been tested. I want you to think of that word this morning, okay? It's what I want to talk about, and I think what God has for us. Think about something that's tested. Among other things, it means that the product has been uh, proven to perform, right? So if something's been tested, you know that effort was that went in, and uh, to that end, manufacturers uh, give a lot of effort and go be way beyond just designing. That's a drawing board. And building. In order to say built, mountain, tough, you got to test it. you got to go past designing and building it. you got to put it through its paces and serious paces, or people will laugh at your label someday. They're going to go, no, that doesn't work. A nice sales thing, but nothing behind it. So they they begin to test this thing in order to find whether it will stand up to kind of prove that it will stand up to the challenges that the family or individual that has this trailer will face in the rugged mountains, in, in the wilderness, if you will. So that makes sense. So right now, think of an engineer that you know. Maybe you are that engineer. So I got to thinking about their work. They actually are in the work of testing and, and retesting, actually design and build, testing and then retesting, and they do it again and again. And what's their end game? They hope that the product that they're working on will actually hold up under such scrutiny. Isn't that how it works? I don't usually bring my phone with me, and it's not on right now. So some of you that are texting need to knock it off. Just kidding. Uh, but anyway, I brought it with me because I thought this is a product. How many of us have one of these? Raise your hand. Okay, there you go. Everybody. All right. And, um, and there's a lot of money riding on this thing. And you have demands of this thing. And it occurs to me that this is tested to death. I mean, they drop things on it. They slam it. They, they, they uh, do all kinds of stuff the engineers do to make sure that they drop it in water. It goes on and on. They wanna make sure that this thing works. That's their, that's their purpose. I Also brought another, I've been doing this lately. I don't know, it's kind of fun. Uh, sermon uh, props, if you will. But I've got a mug that I like to drink out of. It's Alaska Airlines and it's got a lot of cities they fly to, fly Alaska. Anyway, um, it's, um, it's, a, it's a mug that gets full of, it's a pretty good size. So it gets full of coffee on a regular basis by me. All right. I guarantee you somebody took a lot of time in the design and the build and 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 then the testing to make sure guys like me don't fill it full of coffee, sit down and open their Bible and have it the handle break off and go all over my Bible and worse the carpet and everything. I mean, it, no, you don't want that. You want it to work and you want it to—that's what—that's what they're doing, and their purpose. These engineers is to reveal, and and refine this mug and this phone uh, to make sure that their product works well. So it strikes me what you're already thinking—that that's a very helpful picture of God, and and it, and it's not. God working with products. It's working with the you's and me's, the people. Um, His tests, you can write this down if you want to write something down. His tests have a purpose, and that is to reveal and refine his people, the, the, the character of us. His tests do that. If you've been along... Long enough in this life, you know that to be true. You can point to some if you haven't been, and they will always tell you, yep, that's how it happened in my life. That's how I went deep with God. My roots went deep. Um, And usually it was from testing. Um, So I want to show you several examples this morning of that. Um, I want to begin just with something that's fairly familiar to most, not everybody. Um, And it's, it, it involves someone um, who's, a—I would call him a biblical personality, and um, I'm giving you some hints here. He answers to the name Job. If you're new in the Bible, um, it, it'll, it re, it's the same spelling as Job, but that's not him, okay? He's Job, just for information's sake. So right out of the gate, This standout person, the reason it drew my attention to him, was to point to the very first verse in his 42-chapter story. It's in the Old Testament. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to capture something for you. First verse, right out of the gate. Nothing else said about this man except this. Job was blameless and upright. Think of those qualities if you saw those in in anybody, yourself. Um, you know, whoever. He was blameless, he was upright, and two more attributes. He feared God and shunned evil. Shunned evil is like, it's not tasteful to me. I stay away from it. It takes me places I don't want to go. And on and on the reasoning might be. So that's what we know about him. He's that kind of guy that you would love to have over for dinner. If he were single, he's the guy you wouldn't have any problem dating your daughter. You with me now? That's what you look for. He's got it going. Um, Now imagine, you're taking in everything I'm telling you. Your eyes are on this man, Job. And you're standing there where right in front of your eyes he gets hit by a bus. So that brings him to the modern, right? He's up at, you know, the highway near us and uh, standing there waiting for, uh, to cross and a bus takes him out. Just barrels into him. And you, you can't even believe your eyes. Moments later... The world changes around you, and eventually, a uh, he is rushed to a trauma center, barely breathing. Okay, and and you you can't even believe it. Your your heart breaks for him, who in that moment was was reduced to life support, blameless. Innocent, feared God, shunned evil. And here it's happening right, right around you. Um, your thought is, I can't, I can't believe that would happen to him. You might even think the dark side. I've actually had people say this to me, and I th- think they're apologetic when they say it, but it comes out of their lips. You know, I can think of others. I wouldn't mind they got hit by the bus. I only bring that up to tell you you're not the only person that thinks that way from time to time, right? But not Job. Um, For some reason, you had a little friendship I didn't mention. So it allowed you to go to the hospital. And um, we're not limited by COVID restrictions to visit and stuff. So you make your way in to the ICU. And there he is. He is purple. He's really beat up, but he's alive. And um, you're actually kind of relieved. You're, you're anxious. My hands get, my palms get sweaty thinking about that moment. I've been there with other people. But here's this guy. And you get up there, and you're actually kind of relieved because he can't talk. He's intubated. He's, he's on oxygen. He's, he, he can't talk. Um, Which gives you a little relief because you don't have anything that you could imagine saying in that moment. And then finally, he in the in in that setting um, manages to convey something. You know he's trying to communicate, and you know in that moment, you're you're not likely to understand uh, what he's saying. But more deeply than that, you're not likely to comprehend. But you're listening, and you lean in closely to him. And then he says something that somehow in your soul in that moment you knew that is, I don't get it, but you knew that is profoundly true. So you quickly grab your phone and put these words in it. As he spoke, God knows where I'm going. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as pure gold. When I get out of here, I'm going to be better for it. I'm broken. But there's a better future ahead for me, said Job. Of all people, he seemed to be an exception to the truth that God tests his people to reveal and refine their character. Everybody knew he was a stand-up guy. Why him? Um, <clears throat> but in Job's own words, that's exactly what God was doing. Which, can I say this? Let's, will you allow me this image for a second longer? Let's pretend that God wears hats. How many of you wear hats on a regular basis? How many of you have more than one hat if you raise your hand? Yeah, you got a lot of hats, okay? so But each hat God wears is a, a hat uh, with a label. Like my dad, when he was at Camp Tadmore directing the place, he could have had just H on his hat, which stood for honcho, meaning I'm in charge here. You better do what it. No, he, he was just, that was his camp name, honcho. It made sense. Uh, Mine was gyro because I was crazy, but um, he was honcho. Um, So God wears hats. Let's give him a hat right now with T on it, capital T, which means teacher. Now, I want you to think about what you know today about teachers. How many of you have been a teacher? Oh, look at that. Wow. Okay. So you know what it's like to be a teacher. Uh, what, What do we know about teachers? Well, we know that they test their students, right? Some of them test them all the time. You know? I don't mean it that way. So teachers test their students. Some of the things they do is they lecture. And then they give assignments, both written and, um, and maybe reading assignments. Okay? And then sometime along the way in the term or semester, they uh, administer a test, right? Exams. In college, they call them midterms and finals. And the teacher is using that to find out if you got it, what he or she was trying to teach you. Um, So good teachers, I think, I didn't interview any of them, but the good ones in my life when I didn't do so well on the test, they didn't just go, you know, you're not going anywhere in life, idiot. You know, study next time, McCracken. No, 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 no. They They took their time because I think I know why they wore the hat, they really cared. In fact, their hope was I would do well. I would get what they taught and it would become something for my benefit. And, and so even if I didn't do so well, they would stay with me and work with me to help me improve. Am I right? If you're a teacher here right now, I mean, Brett, I I could call some of you guys out. John, there's different teachers that would say that's exactly what I wanted in my students. I took no pleasure in a kid that went home and failed the test. Um, Isn't that what God does? Uh, To make his people come forth as gold, I believe it is, and I believe the Bible uh, is shouting this message. God, the author of the Bible, wants us to get it. My Bible's open to Judges chapter 2. Would you just start there? We're going to go three places real quick this morning. But I've I've, I've taken a, a good amount of time to establish some some facts about God. And um, you're familiar with these words, um, but I want to return to them just quickly because there's a word that we keep bumping into already in the story of the judges. Um, it, it, it's, it calls attention to the extensive role of testing uh, by God in the Bible, throughout the Bible. So God's people, just to kind of give this a place of reference, uh, for failing to remove the idolatrous people that lived in the land God led them to, they're called the Canaanites, they fell into a repeated pattern of sin. We talked about that recently. And it, and it lasted a long time. They were to, uh, instead of driving the people out, they actually moved in and lived among them. And it didn't turn out well, and God knew it wouldn't. Right. <clears throat> But they did it anyway. As a result, uh, things things turned out poorly. And verse 20 kind of picks up on that right away. I want you to circle a word or write this word down. You'll see it throughout our morning. Verse 20, therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel. I told you to do something. I had good reasons behind it. And you didn't. And for a very long time, you haven't. And so verse 20 says, describing God, he was very angry with Israel. And he said, because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. Watch this now. Verse 22, I will use them to, there's the word. I have a purpose now, a different purpose. It wouldn't have been the purpose, but it's necessary because I want to be a teacher that makes you better through this. So I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. Drop down to verse one of the next chapter, verse chapter three. These are the nations the Lord left to, he repeats himself, to test Israel all of the Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. And he lists off those nations, drop down to verse 4. They were left, he says it a third time, they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands which he had given their ancestors through Moses. So quickly, we see three times in a row, right? Chapter 2, verse uh, 22, chapter 3, verses 1 and 4 the word test keeps coming up you need a definition and it really will transform what we're saying here say a test in hebrew the word test in hebrew means to prove through trial to prove with pain if i can put it trial in a different word just getting close to home for you now (laughs) Not to not to fault you, not to kick you to the curb, not to, you know, move on from, you know, people dragging their feet, and go to people that get it. No, no, no. Tests in your life, in my life, in their lives, was to prove them by trial. This particular test would tell whether his people would keep to his ways or adopt the ways of the world around them. And uh, we know how that turned out. Uh, it, it's a problem that persisted. I said they were tested again and again and again. Actually 10 generations of them, one after the next after the next for 325 years. I'm talking about something that was a serious serious problem and they didn't they they, they resisted proving and then it happened again, and it happened again, it happened some more. I, you know, I wondered about those people um, a lot in this series, and, and, and I actually wondered what was their conversation as, here we go again. It's happening again, you know. Um, I wonder if they thought, you know, what, what if, why is this happening to us? Or Maybe they got more honest and said, why why do I have this thing that makes me want to wander from God? What's my problem? We talked about that. Why did I dismiss God's command? There's no mystery here. God directed his people in this opening example. He directed his people to do something. That's called a command. You ready for this? And he still does. This isn't just about them. In fact, I believe it's in the Bible for us. Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instructions that through through the encouragement and the the word of God, we might have hope. It's for us. So um, God directed his people to do something. He still does that. And his people often disobeyed him. And we do that too. And the result is a test that revealed a problem that needs attention. Um, I want us to probe some more into this testing idea this morning. Um, I want you to think about um, testing a little bit differently. I know it's, it's got that difficult uh, trial feature to it. But I want you to concentrate on the word gold for a sec. I know most people get the value of that when they think of that in the sentence that we quoted from Job. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a true thing. They tests may, in fact, involve, likely do involve trials. But they will bring about significance and success if we'll learn from them. Um, that a way that it's been sort of dummied down a little bit. Um, there, there's 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 pain, but it brings gain. Yeah, I, I don't want you to get too much into that because this isn't a locker room, and we're not in a football game. This is life. Okay. So, um, but I got to thinking about um, a, a, a statement that a mentor of mine. Uh, made many years ago, and it's probably known as one of his signature sayings. Um, he used to say it at the church and that I pastored at before with him and under him, and, and uh, I've read it, and in fact, you could Google it, and it just pops up everywhere, and clearly it was something that people resonated with when Chuck Swindoll said, listen to these words, we are all faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations that's there's no exception to that we are all faced with a series not just one it's not a you know it's a lot of them and a series of great opportunities which point to gold stuff like gold but brilliantly disguised meaning it's hard to see because they're impossible situations. They they come dressed that way. Halloween's a good day to say they're a costume. Again, his words, we are all faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. So for the balance of our time, In in the Bible this morning, let's learn from the experience of of others and how God used testing, which I would call impossible situations. He did so again and again for gain in the lives of people that he loves. And he still does that. All right, so um, here's a couple of examples. One is an individual, the other is a group. The first one comes out of Genesis, so you just have to back up the bus a little bit here. Pardon the bus analogy again, but uh, Genesis, would you find your way to um, like Genesis 22? All right, and we're talking, of course, about Abraham. He was the founder of the Jewish nation, um, and he's a big deal to God and should be in our minds for reasons that I think will come out very quickly. He was the founder of the Jewish nation, as I said, and his story in Genesis spans, and he's referenced all over the rest of the Bible, but his main story spans uh, like 15 chapters from chapter 11 to 25. So there's a lot here about him. He was told by God that he would be the father of the faithful. Um, and, And this is all in Genesis 15. He's told, in fact, God takes him outside, says, look up at the stars you're, you, you're going to have a, a, a nation of faithful people that outnumbers the stars in the sky. That's Genesis 15. And it's not till Romans chapter 4, way over in the New Testament, that we understand those words to be more than just about Jewish people, it's about people of faith, it's about Jews and Gentiles alike. And in that moment, stand with him on that shoreline when God said, look up and see the stars, Abraham's like, well, I don't even have one son. I'm not sure how this nation's going to get built. And and yet somehow in there, he said, okay, God, I don't get it, but okay. And I believe that verse 6 of Genesis 15 tells of the salvation of Abraham. He said, the, the text says he believed God, saving faith, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. We would say today he was saved. He came to faith in a God that makes and keeps promises. All right? So that's the starting point, but the problem was, as I said, he was old. And as uh, a, a man with no children of his own, no no biological children, he was way past the age of becoming a father. Then he's visited, uh, chapter 17, he's visited by a couple of angels, we're told, three actually, and um, they tell him that he and his wife are about to have a son, their own son. Uh, Important detail, at this time in their lives, she was 89 years old, and uh, he was 99. So when I said he's too old to have babies, you get it, right? And she's like a half-life past having babies. It just doesn't happen that way. It didn't then, it doesn't now. Unless you're God. So the angel's prediction comes true. And they become the first, uh, the, the, they become first-time parents later that year. They both had a birthday in between, and when they welcomed their son into their world and into their arms and lives, they were 90 and 100, respectively, all right? So that's the setup here, Um, and that illustrates in chapter 18 because, uh, well, their their reaction would have been my reaction (laughs) for real God. I mean, you know, in fact, the text says they both laughed. I think people try to make a lot about one laugh was different than the other. I think they laugh like any husband and wife, 89 and 99. They're like, <laughs> I got lots of reasons, Lord, to tell you why this won't work so well, All right? And and they laugh. You could go places with that. But chapter 18, verse 14 reads this in response to their laughter. Is anything too hard the Lord your age is irrelevant if God's the teacher of your life and the one leading the way so the answer is obviously not so here in chapter 22 um, this is where the impossible situation shows up in Abraham's life up to this point he's got a son and not much else and uh, we'll see what happens and um, this represents what we're about to read. These two verses introduce the trial at the beginning of chapter 22. And I'm going to just call it what, it what I think it is. It's the most brutal trial outside of Jesus Christ on the cross in all of the Bible. And you're saying, well, including Job? And I said, yeah, yeah, I think including Job. Sometime later, God, here's the word again, tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, came his answer. The Lord God said, take your son, your only son, who would be Isaac, whom you love. That gives you a lot to go on, but we don't have time to go there. So this son, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Oh, great. We're going to go on a field trip, road trip. Not the way verse 2 ends. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Unbelievable test. Unbelievable test. Every time I read it, every time I've pondered it, I fail it. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to. And... and. Um, and then and then incredibly um, I I have to believe I'm going to interject something. some speculation but I got to guess he didn't sleep at all between verse 2 and verse 3 if I had that on my mind and I knew it came from God I still know how I could possibly sleep Um, but by morning somehow his mind was made up and he began a three day trek north living down in Bathsheba. He heads north to Moriah, about a three-day trek, 50 miles. And then we read his response to the test where he was proved by trial. Verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, and he took, him, uh, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship. And then interesting words, and I think they're worthy of pondering. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Could that be a little leaking out of his faith that God was going to pull something off here? Let's read on. Verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So evidently he's not just walking with dad knowing that he's about to die. He has this sense that this isn't about him at all, perhaps. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham, it all changes here, built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And then he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Don't know how to even read those words with any possible alternate interpretation. Then he reached out his hand and took his knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, there's, a, there's an intensity in the repetition here. Here am I, he replied. Don't lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him, for you've passed the test. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your very own one and only son. Whoa. Whoa. Um, He had passed the test. His trust in God was strong. By the way, Mount Moriah was a place where God proved Abraham's faith we just read about. It it, it has another name that's more familiar to us. It's called Jerusalem. And it's the exact location where God, much later, sent his son. to be sacrificed and nothing and no one stopped it from happening and I have forgiveness and salvation and a future in heaven because I believe in what Jesus did that's why we sing so much about his love so much to sing about isn't there Uh, The Apostle John would go on in um, his writings in 1 John 4, verse 10. Not surprising to me at all that he would refer to Jesus who actually went to Mount Moriah, sacrificed himself. And this is love, he said in chapter 4, verse 10. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is to cover us in his blood. Forgive us. And fit us for heaven. Can I just say something to a church that's heard messages from me forever? If that has not been a settled reality for you. You're stopping short of what it need, what, what's needed for you. In this life and in the life to come. And that is a a relationship where you acknowledge, you believe that that really happened for you. And if you're watching someplace else and you're joining us this morning, you know you're, there, there's 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 great worship, great teaching here, great church, great people, but nothing trumps this truth. Nothing. Give your heart to Jesus Christ. I know it. I know it's a struggle. Um, I know you've maybe even tried before you've thought about it, and it just didn't take hold. you know been to that rodeo, pastor don't, don't turn to the person, Jesus, not religion, Jesus. I have more to go on, but I want us to respond this morning and i'll I'll pick up on the rest later if the Lord. Uh, prompts me to but I um, I'm aware that um, you and I have tests in our lives and they come in lots of forms they come in physical afflictions they come in financial struggles Maybe in those cases related to jobs or no jobs or whatever. Life's just expensive and you don't have enough. They come in relationship problems. And you're just like, you know, talk about a test. I have learned this over the years. That when I'm about to talk about something, I had better be Prepared for God to bring about the relevance of that thing in my life, and last night was r- rough. And um, I spent a lot of time with Jesus in the middle of the night, and when I did, I kept um, I kept hearing that conversation that Jesus had with Simon. He called him Simon. We know him as Peter. They had just finished a great meal. Um, I mean, we have communion here every month, but can you imagine it's not Pastor Steve leading us, it's Jesus Christ. It would be so cool. And uh, Peter was one of those guys. And uh, they finished this meal, and Jesus says what he says about communion, and then... And then uh, Peter says, uh, I'm all yours, Jesus. Anything you say, I'll do. Anywhere you point, I'll go. And Jesus shocks me when I read the words in Luke 22, like verses uh, 31 and 32. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has, some translations say, demanded, others say, sought permission to sift you. And I pray for you, Simon, that once you pass the test, you will rise up. And uh, Simon had no way of knowing the extent of that test. No way. I don't think any of us would have. But it became true, and I, I shared with somebody early this morning, and I'll finish with this, that um, it's not surprising to me that if you asked me, Pastor, what's the, um, what's the New Testament book on suffering? We know Job, that's Old Testament. What's, what's the New Testament book? I'd tell you two of them, both by the name Peter, first and second Peter, because he was sifted. And, and some of you, I know I'm looking at you, I'm talking to you that, that are sifted right now. And I'm not going to guess at why. I'm, I'm just going to tell you that it's, it's, it's a practice that goes on. And God's people are not exempted from it. But you have a God that says, I, I will um, give you what you need to survive the sift. And then you'll tell people about me. And um, I guess that's where I want to leave it today. If you're in, in sifting right now, he's using your name, not Simon's name. And, um, and he loves you. And he knows you can be proven through pain, through the trial. And that will get people's attention more than just about anything you can do. And uh, so I'd like you to bow with me and let's, let's uh, respond. Song is such a part of uh, our lives. The um, lights are going to come down. I'm going to give this moment to make this a very tender moment for all of us. But we're, uh, we're like people that we've read about today the Job, the Abrahams, the Simons. They fill this room. And um, the Israelites are another group that could talk about the impossible situation that they faced. It was hard on them. You made a way for them, Lord. He made a way through the sea. It was a test. It was very involved and took a long time, but it proved his people. So we're going to sing a song that captures that. Will you hear me? Hear my heart. You'll never walk alone. Never. And If you've never answered Jesus' call to come to him, I want you to do that today. At home, will you invite him in? Here in the house, will you do the same? And will you say, Lord, I know it's hard, it's a sift in my life, but I want to I pass the test. I want to come forth as pure gold, and I can't do that unless you go with me on the Red Sea Road. Let's stand and let's sing together and worship him.